Today's episode is for anyone interested in acquiring or even investing in digital businesses. Dom Wells has been building and acquiring businesses in the online space for a decade, which is generations in internet years. And today, Dom is an active acquirer of internet businesses through his firm Onfolio. Our conversation is less his story and more about the state of digital business acquisition today in spring 2022. Among the many topics we touch on are affiliate, e-commerce, and SaaS businesses, and each one's pros and cons, online course and content businesses, where Dom sees opportunities in digital acquisition going forward, how to source deals, the leading brokerages of digital businesses, Flippa and Microacquire, and how to approach the digital space as an outsider. So if you're like me and you love the business of the internet and online marketing, I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Dom Wells. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. As we all know, reviews count for a lot online, especially for a young podcast. If you get value from Acquiring Minds, can I ask that you leave a review? Even just two sentences. I read every one, and I've made it easy. Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash acquiringminds. Ratethispodcast.com slash acquiringminds. Thank you. Dom Wells, thank you for joining me this early morning on Acquiring Minds. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Excited. You are actually in Taipei, so it's uh, bedtime where you are, not early morning. So I think we found the uh, one hour in the day where our two schedules overlap enough to to make this happen. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation, Dom. Uh, I'm, I'm in general wanting to have more guests on to talk about digital business acquisition. So you are a perfect candidate. I've actually known about you for a while. Uh, I've seen you on other podcasts. I've um, seen you on in some of the entrepreneur groups that I'm involved in. So really excited to now have you on my own podcast. What we're going to do in this conversation, Dom, is hear your story uh, in brief, just to set the context, and then really just get into the topic of digital business acquisition, digital asset acquisition, which is really a core part of what you do today. So um, speaking of which, uh, why don't we start there and work back? What is it that you do, Dom? What is Onfolio? Yeah, um, so I'm the CEO of Onfolio, and we basically buy and grow online businesses, um, quite a wide range of business types, which I'm sure we'll go into later on. But um, yeah, we, we're an acquisition company. We occasionally start businesses. The rest of the time, we, uh, we're looking to acquire. Great. Uh, and so, okay, so... And how many businesses do you have in your portfolio today, would you say? Um, good question. Uh, it's probably about a dozen. <laughs> we, we, we recently trimmed, trimmed the fat. So um, uh, some, of, some of our portfolio was clients, some of them owned by ourselves. So in terms of things that we actually own ourselves, it's about a dozen. Okay. And can you give the audience like a sense of size or scale of these businesses? What using maybe annual revenue as the metric? Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty small. I mean, um, 2021, our total revenue was about two and a half million. So um, 
the the businesses range from 300k a year to you know some of them are obviously a lot smaller than that i think i think the largest is about 300k a year okay great and so let's have more of your story and background Dom, how you got into this to this world of digital digital business asset um uh acquisition take us back to to wherever the most relevant starting point is and and work forward for me uh sure so 2012 i um uh, read the four hour work week book um wanted to I'm not really sure. Sorry, what I wanted, so, so many stories have started. So many entrepreneur stories have started with that very line. I love it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Do, I need to, do I need to continue? I'll just say I read the four. <laughs> uh, um, so for me, I guess what's relevant is I was living in Taiwan and still am, but um, I I wanted to find a different way of earning money without having to leave Taiwan. Um, so. A friend recommended Four Hour Work Week. I read it. I'd already read the Rich Dad Poor Dad books, um, and so it, for me, it was just like, oh, I'll just read this book and kind of see. And a lot of people would say the Four Hour Work Week is, was a blueprint for them. For me, it wasn't really a blueprint. It was just like, okay, I read this and I realized, oh, I can figure this out because the book kind of says you can figure it out. Like I didn't need to have got an MBA. I didn't need to have done this. All I need to do is just keep learning. Um, so I followed my nose and discovered affiliate marketing, uh, which, um, long story short, you build a website, maybe a blog, um, you review products, you get paid a a commission if people buy those products. And so I, um, I really thought this is going to be easy. I'm going to make loads of money. And so I sort of jumped in, started a load of websites. I think I started four or five, um, not at the same time, like I started one and was later, okay, this one's not going to work, started another one and, you know, shiny object syndrome like everyone has at the beginning. And after a year, I think I was making $500 a month. So it wasn't what I expected at all. I, I thought I'd be making like 10K after six months or something. But I had seen enough by that point to realize, okay, I can try and scale this. Um, and then, okay, fast forward a, a couple of years, I actually started acquiring online businesses because I realized it's a much faster wealth creation. Um, And by that time I actually had some cash, so I actually could start buying them. So I went to flipper.com, which I don't know how familiar your audience are, but essentially it's like eBay for online businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. They would probably, Flipper would probably take offense to that, but that's what it felt like back in 2012. (laughs) And yeah, I sold a business for like a thousand dollars and, started buying businesses and started building uh, a business called human proof designs, which we sold done for you websites for beginners. Um, that was in 2014. And I, I spent the next sort of three or four years building that up, getting a, a name and a reputation, um, scaled that to a million dollars a year revenue. And then in 2019, I sold the business because I wanted to focus on Onfolio. And what Onfolio did at the time was, there was a lot of other people out there like me who wanted to buy online businesses, but they didn't know how to buy them. Maybe they didn't have the capital. No, sorry, they had the capital. What they didn't have was the skill set, or right. they just weren't interested. You know, they didn't want to buy themselves a job because investing in online business is actually not passive. A lot of a lot of these businesses earn money passively, but owning the business isn't a passive income. So it's kind of this weird 
misconception. And so we said, okay, you pay for the business, we'll run it and we'll charge you a fee and some, some profit share. And uh, very, very quickly it, it, it kicked off. Um, I think within six months I was able to pay myself a higher salary than in my previous job or um, uh, the profit was higher than at the previous, the previous business. So I was like, okay, this has got traction. I'm going to pour even more on this. And we got lots of demand. There's lots of people out there who like the idea of owning digital real estate. Um, so a lot of people came to, to us and hired us to buy them businesses and run them. And um, then in 20, the pandemic blurred everything. <laughs> what year is it now? I think okay, in 2020, in 2020, I realized it's way more lucrative and I don't have to deal with clients and investors if we pivot everything into a holding company rather than being like a kind of, basically we were just a, a service provider, like a, a glorified SEO agency or something. So I said, okay, people can invest in the holding company and we're just going to buy 40 businesses instead of like have, you know, 40 individuals or 20 businesses instead of 20 individuals. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. But the main one was whenever there was a Google algorithm update or something that happens in online business, which can basically screw a business, we might say, okay, we're running 30 businesses. Only one of them got hit in the last Google update. You know, that's fantastic track record. But it sucks if you're that one investor who's just put like 100K into a business and then Google decides to take its revenue away. So I thought, but if, you know, if all of our clients owned all of the businesses together, then risk, you know, diversification, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, so pretty, you know, I I didn't invent diversification, but I realized it was very pertinent to the space. And so um, I also realized I wanted to build something big and substantial. Um, So I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. It makes more sense for investors. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so we, we pivoted and, I think it was around April 2020 that I started talking to people about doing a different a different route, and we raised the first money in September. Um, just just shy of a million, we raised about 800k. Bought a few more businesses. Spent 2021 basically raising uh, more money and raised two million in September, and about a million throughout 2021. And then the idea is that we're gonna scale it larger and uh, working towards an IPO and raise some money in the IPO and use that money to make more acquisitions and do it as a public company. Um, so it kind of escalated quickly there <laughs> from, from, from A to B to where I am now. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of. And, and that, that escalation that, yeah, that, thank you for that. The, the escalation is that because you feel like this latest model of onfolio that you've uh, kind of backed into is just so much more powerful than all the things that came before um yeah but also because i was in a place in my life where i was ready to build something you know for the next decade um or, or two decades or three decades or whatever but like i'd had an exit before it wasn't seven figures but it was enough that i'd scratched the uh the itch of having an exit um and i thought the potential for onfolio is there's no ceiling basically so you know i also realized and this is a quote from stephen schwartzman from um 
um, I don't, he said it a lot, but it was in his book. Um, the uh, founder of Blackstone, he basically said it takes just as much effort to build something big as it does something small, so you might as well swing for the fences. And I was reading that book while I was mulling over all the different options. I also considered starting a fund, which is what a lot of people do in the space. Um, and I just thought, you know what, this is the <laughs> this is the ultimate big swing, but also it was something I believed could be done so it wasn't pie in the sky and i just thought you know okay i've just had a kid ready to um just buckle down and focus on something for the next for the rest of my life i guess um so yeah let's do it and um spoke to my team as well and they you know <laughs> they were just as um excited about the idea so sure yeah well, it just made, exciting. A, made a lot of sense the and you going back now to 2012 and in those first few years of, of you in the business, it's pr- primarily focused on affiliate content websites. And we're going to, we're going to define those a little bit in a little bit more detail in a second, but um, has that, the, the types of properties that you acquire, has it evolved beyond affiliate? Or are you still mostly focused on affiliate style content websites as what you buy and hold? Yeah. I mean, we're actually, <laughs> that's probably the least, type of business we're likely to buy now um yeah it's evolved we've we we started out almost entirely seo based affiliate businesses um again seo for those not savvy is the the art of ranking in google so not paying for your traffic but getting your website to be like the number one number two result in google Uh, so all your traffic is free um and seo is basically what you do to get that and um now we really avoid businesses that are heavily reliant on SEO, which basically means those affiliate content websites are basically not, they don't match our criteria anymore. Now we wouldn't rule them out entirely because you occasionally will find one that is a solid business. Uh, it's diversified. You, you don't fear the SEO, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but essentially, no, we, we don't buy those types of businesses anymore. We, we similarly we had a similar experience with e-commerce where we thought maybe e-commerce was the better solution but uh e-commerce is so cash flow intensive it's kind of like what's the point in owning this business sometimes it's it's like um the the purpose of owning a business is to give you free cash flow and uh, Mm e-commerce business is just a massive cash sinks so we we again we're not ruling them out because there's occasionally ones that uh make sense and they do give cash flow so we never rule anything out but we don't buy a lot of e-commerce anymore either um actually dom let me let me jump in here i i think this this is a perfect time to let's kind of bucket the different types of digital businesses because we're getting into it anyway um you've just Mm -hmm. touched on two affiliate and e-commerce but let's let's just define those in a little just a little bit more detail obviously people know what e-commerce is but um and while doing that um so so let's do the the main types of digital businesses Uh, obviously there's a very long tail i mean anything that's online can be considered considered a digital business but you know we hear about e-commerce affiliate SaaS, lead gen so whichever you think are the, the the biggest buckets that you think about and look at define those for us and then let's go through the pros and cons of each what you what you do and don't like about them let's start again with affiliate you've already you've already said that um affiliate businesses are are extremely vulnerable to seo a change in the google algorithm your business can implode overnight what else do you like or not like about those businesses 
Yeah, so an affiliate business is essentially, they've gone through an evolution of their own. Like maybe a few years ago, you might, let's say you wanted to buy a water filter. So you would Google, you know, best water filter or something like that. And uh, in Google, the first few results would be a website like bestwaterfilters.com or, you know, something like that. Um, And they've just written an article and, they're like, this is the best one. This is the best bang for buck. This is the best if you live in Arizona. You know, like this is the best for that. And you <laughs> click on it, it goes to the manufacturer's website or it goes to Amazon. And if you buy a product, you, the the owner of that website gets a commission. Um, and they're typically low quality. So while they had their, their heyday and they were great because it's very easy to write the content, you can outsource it. Uh, the SEO used to be a lot easier. Um, these days, Google just doesn't really like to rank those types of websites anymore. And I think Google uses machine learning. And so what happens is, well, of course they do. But I mean, what used to happen was if you ranked to the top of Google and you didn't do anything like bad in their eyes, like you didn't game the system, you didn't um, um, do anything spammy then google was kind of happy with you there even if maybe another website was better they'd be like well you're fine whereas now every few months they roll out an update and even some of the best websites on the planet their traffic just tanks maybe six months later it comes back up again because google tweaks the dials again and that's a very bad acquisition strategy when you're like i'm going to buy this business for a million dollars and it could lose all its traffic tomorrow you know it's a very asymmetrical risk so yeah um that that basically is it. Like all the reasons it's good are cash flow very well. Like uh, the the revenue and the profit line on the PL are usually very, very similar. They they can have very small expenses. Content is nice to create, it's it's easy. Um, but it's all trumped by the fact that it's not reliable. You just don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So it's it's a fine business to own, but not a good business to buy. Um could I jump in with another yeah. observation just because I remember this so much? Of course, also, you're you're really reliant on the suppliers, the, 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 the manufacturers paying you the commissions. They can also just on a whim change the commission rate that they pay you. So there was an infamous moment a few years ago where Amazon was paying, call it 8% commissions on certain categories of products. And overnight, that went down to what, 4 2 Percent, And so those businesses, those affiliate websites that were um, generating commissions in this, these product categories saw their revenues quarter or, or worse than have overnight because of some bureaucratic decision within Amazon. Do I have that right? Yeah, it wasn't even bureaucratic. Like they just did it. They did it two weeks into the pandemic. Like it's, it, was, it was crazy. They went from 8% down to 3%. And as far as I'm aware, they didn't discuss it with some of their, the other departments within Amazon. Um, they just announced it to, so for example, Amazon US just told Amazon EU they were doing it. Um, wow. Devastating. But, um, yeah, it cost me a lot of money. I had some businesses I was about to sell. And suddenly, oh. you know, it's like this business was worth 150K. Now it's only worth 50K. Um, you know, so... It, it devastated bloggers as well because, okay, for me, I have diversification. I just bought different businesses instead. But there were a lot of mummy bloggers out there or uh, people with one website, which 
some some of the income categories went from eight percent to three percent commission, and so that's like imagine you're making seven k a month, you have five k a month in expenses, so you're okay, and then suddenly you're only making two k a month. Uh, it, you know, it's brutal. Um, and um, it was the second time I was in Stunner, mm-hmm. so they, <laughs> you know, it's it's not the first time they've done it. So it's like fool, fool me once, shame on me. You know, fool me mm-hmm. twice, don't <laughs> buy Amazon sites again. Um, yeah. And you know Amazon are one of the better people to work with as well. So there are there are other if you work with an individual business, you don't even know if they're going to necessarily pay you up. Um, so right, yeah, it, it's very you're you're very much it's, it's essentially not a business because you're not there's so many things you aren't in control of control of and you're relying on uh, so many other things. And so when Amazon changes it, it's like well, okay, they're a business; they did it for their business reasons, like it sucks for you, but you built a business that relies on Amazon. So, you know, kind of get what you uh, deserve to some extent. Um, so that's why we try not to, uh, we try not to, uh, to do that. Great. Let's, um, let's hear about e-commerce. People know what e-commerce is. Um, but you were talking about how, how cash hungry e-commerce businesses are. Um, t- talk to me more about pros and cons, yeah. please. Yeah, and that's a generalization. I'm sure there's other people who are in e-commerce businesses who might disagree with me. Um, e-commerce is essentially physical products. So you're the manufacturer. You might even have affiliates who are promoting your products. So you're basically the other way around. But you, maybe you're selling supplements, maybe you're selling um, sunglasses, you know, anything. But people come to your website, they see your products, they send you money, you send them the products. Um, that's that's e-commerce. So the the pros and cons are, paid traffic works you can you know you can buy traffic or facebook or google with affiliate businesses usually the margins are too thin like you might spend ten dollars to get someone to buy something off amazon and amazon pays you three dollars so it doesn't work whereas with e-commerce you can do that you can everything's in your control like it's completely the opposite of what sucks about affiliate stuff so we went oh let's check out e-commerce instead and then we discovered with e-commerce, you kind of never actually get to enjoy any of the cash flow because you're always buying more more inventory. You're always um, um, just like you have products stuck on containers from China waiting for them to arrive. Yeah, it's just other headaches. Um, and if you have one e-commerce business and it's your sole thing that you do and you can make it very profitable, then fair enough. But for a company like us who are trying to scale, it didn't. We were just like, let's just buy something else. Like, why should we? Why are we doing this to ourselves? <laughs> so, uh, and a lot of e-commerce businesses are hurting after the iOS 14 update, where uh, essentially Apple stops track uh, allowing Facebook cookies to track iPhones and so on. So suddenly, you might be paying three dollars to acquire a customer. Now you're paying six dollars to acquire a customer because the Facebook algorithm can't find that customer. And you might be break even at six dollars. So it was before you had fifty percent margin. Now you're break even. So a lot of businesses got screwed by that. And luckily, we only owned one or two at the time. So uh, once again, diversification saved us. Um, um, so and we, and, one, and once like, again, like like the like the affiliate websites, there is a lot of platform risk. So where affiliate websites are really vulnerable to Google, you know, tweaking the dials turns out e-commerce businesses that rely on paid traffic from 
Facebook or Instagram are really vulnerable to some change related to that. In this case, it was Apple making a change that affected Facebook, but it's like one big tech company making a policy change and all of a sudden your business is turned upside down or implodes. Just you're, you're just a lot of, yeah, a lot of platform risk uh, in e-commerce, it turns out. Yeah, exactly. Um, just internet marketing in general, there's always something that you rely on. Um, yeah. You know, but but e-commerce also you are you typically own everything. Like yes, you might use Shopify, but typically you own everything. The customers are yours. You can move your business to another location and still reach out to people, um, unless you're just like getting your customers from Twitter or something, which Donald Trump experienced. What happens? What happens there? But um, yeah, right. like th- th- there's a lot of pros that e-commerce has. Um, the other thing is, I, I discovered that paid traffic people and SEO people are wired differently. So my bread and butter was always SEO and content. Uh, and so e-commerce was, was fun, but it just wasn't, it didn't come naturally to me. Although people in my team, it does come naturally to, um, but that was an interesting observation. Um, so it's about figuring out what you're good at and sort of doubling down on that. Take, take me to whatever you think the third category of, of digital business um, people should know about. Yeah. So for us, there's also what's called, digital products businesses which is where instead of selling physical products you're selling digital products like a course or um a membership or um you know there's a lot of paid newsletters right now you know thanks to things like substack so um these are these are kind of marrying the two where you've got the cash flow ability and the uh less um less like sort of cash intensive sides of content businesses but you can also make paid traffic work. You're not necessarily relying on the whims of a vendor because you are the vendor if you're selling like your own course or something like that. Um, so right now we're very much interested in courses and we have a couple and uh, we, we will we'll probably go out and buy more um, as we, you know, as we scale. Um, but um yeah, that, that's a third type. And then a fourth Wait, Dom, could, bucket. Dom, really could I hear bucket. some pros and could I hear some pros and cons on uh, on on courses? What well the pros you've already mentioned just the economics are great. What are some of the the cons about um, uh, uh, digital products? It's a good question. <laughs> I haven't discovered them yet. Um, people can rip off your courses like you get people who download your courses and sell them cheaper for free and you can you know, you can, oh, sorry, they sell them, like they pirate your stuff. So you have to chase yeah. them down and use like cease and desist and stuff. Um, also, there's typically uh, courses are sometimes a dime a dozen. So it's hard to stand out. Uh, it does take effort to create a course. And if you're buying a course uh, as the acquirer, you often have to make sure that um, the marketing isn't too reliant on the founder teaching the course because they're, they're usually going to step out. Um, yeah, those are really the, the hardest parts about courses. Like you just have to be good at marketing really for a course. It's harder to sell them. But um, if you have a good course and a good funnel and all of those things, then they can be very good acquisition uh, targets. Great. Okay. Next category. Uh, SaaS. So uh, SaaS being software as a service. Uh, SaaS is basically you know, software. You used to pay for it once. You got a CD, you installed it. Now pretty much every software 
you sign up and you pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee or something. So that's that's SaaS. Um, SaaS is great. We just aren't very good at coding. We don't have a good development team. So we we haven't merged, moved into SaaS yet. Will we in the future, like if it makes sense to? Um, but right now we don't have any... Um, a ton of SaaS. The, the the pros and cons. So the the pros are it's subscription based, which is typically the best revenue because it's reliable. You can you can scale quite easily, um, and typically you get good cash flow as well. Although you do off you have large development costs as well and server costs and so on. The cons are. Again, a lot of software is not that defensible. You know, there's 50 of everything. Like just just choosing Riverside FM to record this podcast, you probably had 10 other options. Um, <laughs> right. But the, the real challenge we have with acquiring SaaS is a lot of SaaS founders do everything themselves. So you look at this business and they're like, yeah, it makes 20K a month or it makes 5K a month or whatever. And you think, okay, cool. Um, so let me see your spreadsheets, you know, and then you, you see their expenses and they've got like just server costs only. And you're like, where's the developer? Where's the development costs? And they're like, Oh, I do that myself. So we're like, okay, when we buy this business, we're going to have to hire someone to do all that. So it's actually going to lose money. So we, you know, we, we can't do that. Now we could go out and buy a $10 million business and maybe it has all of the team and everything built in the PL, but, um, we don't know enough about SaaS to be confident dropping that kind of cash. So um, for us, that's so is is that that's the is that to say, factor. Dom, that the people should be wary of SaaS businesses at the low low end of the market because if they don't clear the two hundred thousand or maybe three hundred thousand ARR, uh, which is which is SaaS for annual revenue, annual recurring revenue. That there probably isn't just enough enough meat on the bone because, I mean, you need to you need to have at least one developer, and as we all know, developers are really expensive. Yeah, and also ARR. I think MRR is a much better metric. That's another problem with SaaS. They they get like three clients, and then they they extrapolate that to their ARR, and it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, and also, SaaS is just cost more. So a lot of SaaS founders are expecting Silicon Valley startup valuations and um, they're not going to get them. So there's a, there's a, it's actually quite hard to buy a SaaS from a solo founder because there's a kind of, uh, and I, you know, I'm not trying to like um, belittle SaaS founders too much. It's just the reality is a lot of SaaS founders, there's like a cognitive dissonance between what they think their business is worth and what it's actually worth. Whereas other mm-hmm founders typically for, for whatever reason they just they know what the market rates are for their business um but that's more about buying a business from a SaaS founder and less about problems with the model so that's um, you know SaaS is is one of the best business models out there for online business it's just one of the hardest so from this menu of options if i wanted to get into some sort of online something some digital business, where are you seeing the opportunity? So you've already touched on it a little bit. Uh, you don't like e-commerce. Uh, affiliate had its heyday, or the certain types of affiliate sites that you described had its heyday. That is now on the downswing in a big way. So what are we looking at for the next three, five years? Or maybe digital moves too fast for that. So the next two years. 
yeah. Also, predictions are always wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean, where, where are you I, I guys courses, putting money? Uh, courses and, and content, but but content not. Um, you know, content like a YouTube video or a podcast, for example, or a newsletter or a blog, but where it's not trying to make money from affiliate. So now's a good time actually to talk about another type of content, which is advertising or sponsorships. So we have some content websites that just make money from adverts on the on the website. And they still, Google doesn't hate them as much as it hates the kind of low quality, crappy affiliate sites. So the SEO risk is lower, but still still very real um and it's very very passive like you just people come visit your website there's adverts on it you make money it's 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 great um so that there is a, a a side of content that's very much alive i think the distinction is that you just need to really have higher quality content and i think you need to have content that people find educational and entertaining so like a podcast for, like this for example is, is an excellent um uh example and i think did we meet in trends in, in the trends group is that where we met um mm-hmm. 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 or at, at least i've seen yeah. you in so trends like i don't the, know if the, i the, first reached out to you there okay yeah well anyway so trends or the hustle or things like that are a great yeah. um you know i would love to have been been hubspot and bought you know trends um or the hustle. Um, I do think uh, there's a little bit of a gold rush with newsletters right now and that everybody and his dog is starting a newsletter and they will probably, I don't know about you, but I signed up to way too many newsletters and now my inbox, I don't read half of them. So I think newsletters will go out of favor to some extent, but um, good content that's not just surface level will always have an audience. So, uh, so courses and things like that uh, will always be of interest to us. And if I'm interested in sourcing deals, or at least um, maybe dabbling and just seeing what's out there, uh, what, what are the primary ways? I mean, when, when you when you're going to go out and look for for a business to acquire, where do you go? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few marketplaces. I typically, the, the best ones are empireflippers.com, feinternational.com, quietlight.com. Uh, and all three of those are also, well, maybe FE, not so much, <laughs> but all three of those are really good at um, educating buyers and sellers as well. So they're actually really good. Like Empire Flippers has two, actually maybe even three uh, podcasts. They've got a couple of YouTube channels. Um, they have a blog, Quiet Light have a really good podcast. Um, I, I don't know if they have a blog anymore, but there's definitely like oodles of content you can go and read. And Effie, mm-hmm. the founders actually put out some of the best content out there, but they do it on other people's podcasts. They, they don't really host any of their own content. Um, so it's a good place to go and learn and also a good place to actually like look at deals. Um, and not pull the trigger on one <laughs> until you've learned a ton more. But yeah, it's, it's a, that's where I would tell people to start just trying to dig deeper. Okay. And, and really, I mean, we're just talking about three websites and I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would guess there's probably only 20 to a hundred listings on each website 
uh, are listed by each of these brokerages at any given moment. So we're not talking about Biz Buy Sell, which is the American website for Main Street businesses, which has, has many, many thousands of websites yeah. at any given moment, or a flip on which has yeah. many, many listings, many, many thousands of listings. It's pretty manageable to basically keep your eye on all three of these websites. The volume isn't too, too much. Yeah, that's one of my biggest one of the biggest problems with the space is there just isn't enough deal flow um, because there's only so many good online businesses out there that you can buy. Um, but um, yeah, but they definitely have the best deal flow out there and uh, the best content out there about the, the space that we're in. So yeah, well worth checking them out. And now let's let's talk a little bit about the the platform. I mean, we've already touched on Flippa, but let's talk about it more directly. And then it's it's uh, the the up and comer Micro Acquire, which is sort of a Flippa competitor, although they, it's it's quite differentiated. So tell us about these two well known platforms, Flippa and Micro Acquire. Uh, well, Flippa used to be a lot worse. So even though I didn't really recommend them they've come a long way and they're still improving and they just raised some money. So they, I'm sure they're going to improve even more. The issue with Flipper is because anyone can list a business on there. There's just a lot of stuff on there, which is just not good. Um, so I just find it very hard to find something good on Flipper. Um, so that's it really. <laughs> no issues with the platform. I just never see anything good on there. What MicroQuire does differently is it's they don't charge any commissions, whereas all the other brokers charge commissions to the seller. Um, and it can be 15%, it could be 5%, depends on the, the valuation and the platform. Whereas MicroAcquire charges buyers uh, a subscription fee to get access to the listings. And then sellers, it's free. So um, Andrew's built a pretty cool platform, Andrew um, Kazdecki. And he basically just, his, his kind of shtick is, Brokers are a bunch of thieves and they steal money. You can sell your business for more if you don't have to pay a broker fee. And the, we could debate all day long about whether or not that's true. I actually think mm -hmm. the broker's fees are often priced in, just like with, with everything else. But um, founders like it. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people um, sell their businesses there. MicroAcquire has a lot of SaaS because... Andrew is big in the startup scene. He's kind of like, you're building a startup, you could raise venture money or you could have a, a, like a micro micro exit. Um, and he, so he's done a lot for the space in a lot of SaaS founders didn't know they could sell their business. They kind of thought I either have to get venture funding or kind of that's it. You know? um, and so he's done a lot for the space. However, I was talking earlier about cognitive dissonance between um, sellers not knowing what their business is worth and what it's really worth. And MicroAcquire is the prime culprit of that. We see businesses listed there like um, <laughs> we kind of have a deal flow joke of the week in our Slack channel and it's always a MicroAcquire <laughs> business. Uh, there might be something there like um, like trailing 12 months profit, no, tra trailing 12 months revenue, a million dollars, Trading 12 months profit, 100K. Um, last month profit, 10K. Asking price, 7 million. And you're like, <laughs> you're <just> like what? <laughs> oh, okay, I can build a business that doesn't make any money and sell it for 7 million. Sure, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> and it's just, and the problem, another problem is brokers go on micro acquire and 
pitch the sellers like, oh, take your business off micro acquire. I can sell it. I can get you a way better price. And so we come to sellers and we're like, look, you've got a good business, but it's not worth this. It's actually worth like a fraction of what you think it's worth. And they're like, oh, but somebody else is telling me they can sell it for the double what I've listed it for. And it's like, okay, we just have to end these conversations. Like there's too, too big a gap. So micro acquire has good businesses. And I think micro acquire is a good platform, but good luck trying to buy anything off there. <laughs> that's my, uh, that's, you know, that's my, my unfortunate, honest uh, truth. And now that being said, there are businesses bought and sold on there all the time. So maybe we just don't want to pay the prices. You know, maybe other people out there see value in the businesses. Um, but we, we just think the businesses there are way overvalued. So we don't, we don't buy off there. Dom, in, in the world of digital business acquisition, is cold outreach or what they call the searcher world calls proprietary outreach, is this uh, done? And is that, can this be effective, particularly when you talk about the uh, kind of this inflation effect of micro acquire where, where it sets sellers' expectations inordinate, inordinately high? Um, so is it a practice and is it an effective practice? Have you used it at Onfolio? uh it is a practice what a lot of people do is they just sort of spam the internet like hey are you interested in selling your business and i know that because i receive a lot of those emails um is it effective probably but you have to kiss a lot of frogs which is probably true for the rest of the searcher community um again you're going to get cognitive dissonance so we we did it in the past where uh we emailed a lot of people we had very specific criteria we had a SaaS company who scraped google looking for certain websites that met certain criteria and then emailed them like hey i like i'm a buyer are you are you interested in selling and there were just people who were like making me an offer so high i can't refuse and i'm like well well no like i'll make you a fair <laughs> offer but you need to tell me about your business and never hear from them again um people you know someone cold outreaches you and say hey i want to buy your business you know you're going to go on the defensive or you're not going to believe them so um that being said we actually had a few conversations that i was like yeah actually i i would be interested in your business but i don't have that much money right now or something like that so um it's worth exploring yeah it's worth trying um i think the problem with proprietary outreach or how, however you phrased it is well we just call it outbound deal flow but um a lot of people do it thinking that they can save money that way like if you can get off-market deals you can pay like half exactly. price because you get an un, you get an unsophisticated seller and i think really the, the reason to do proprietary outreach is to get the better websites and just pay whatever they're worth um and so yeah, basically, like, I think I think people just do it for the wrong reasons and they get crappy results. So, um. in the <laughs> yeah. world of search, again to compare digital to non-digital, uh, it, it's actually common that a searcher will acquire a type of business that they are uh, not. They're they're an industry outsider and they acquire into an industry. So let's say uh, HVAC. Um, Although they are expected to learn and learn quickly and there, and there can be licensing issues. Um, so it's, I, I don't mean to understate uh, the importance of learning the industry in, into which you acquire. Um, but 
even lenders recognize that in the world of search, this is this is a this is a thing, and so essentially they look for quick learners. Uh, but um, talk to me about an outsider or non technical person or somebody new to digital breaking into this world. Um, would you? How, and also just feeding into something you said at the top about how uh, some of your early investors or, or the clients that you serviced in the, in the previous iteration of Onfolio were t- these types of people who kind of sounds like they just didn't want to learn or they wanted to outsource um, the, the placement of, of these uh, investments to somebody who's so digital savvy like Onfolio. So say I'm not digitally native. These are new business models to me. What do I need to, what would you advise me to stay out altogether or can I learn or what? Uh, I would, I would probably invest in a fund that um, um, takes care of running the businesses for you and is diversified. Um, so for example, Empire Flippers has EF Capital where you can see, let's say six operators who are raising funds and you can give them 10K each or like 50K each or whatever. You need to be accredited, of course. But um, uh, FE International have a SaaS fund. There's a bunch of other funds out there. Those don't give you a ton of insight into exactly how to run these businesses, but they give you exposure to the space and they give you diversification. Um, If you did it, say, the other way, so how we used to do it, uh, people would just find a a company like Onfolio and hire them. the, The challenge is you need to you should still buy multiple businesses because we were good but we couldn't completely prevent someone's we couldn't completely prevent the risk and so um it's going to cost a lot of money because if you want to buy multiple businesses if you buy small businesses then the team running them are going to be spread too thin and not able to do them justice and so the, the only real way to do it is to buy big businesses and then the team can, you know, have the, the the budget they need and you've got the diversification, but that might cost you millions. So, you know, the best way to do it is to just really just to invest in a fund or something or like a, a group buy or something like that. Um, alternatively, right at the other end of the spectrum, if you kind of want to play, you could buy a couple of businesses for 5K each and just learn through, you know, uh, sort of skin in the game, like, you know, buy your way into the space and just learn learn by doing um i wouldn't go out there and buy one business for 100k and hope for the best um which is the opposite of what <laughs> exactly what i used to do for people um so i've, I've learned through experience that that's probably not the best way to go that's great now dom just in in closing here why don't we um You've been in this world for 10 years, which is, is is not a lifetime in many industries, but in the digital world, it kind of is a lifetime or two. Uh, talk to me about just looking at the span of your career in digital. Talk to me about a few of the, of the takeaways or the learnings that you've had um, from these years. Yeah, I, I was trying to think before the call about things that would be useful for people who are maybe not that used to the space, but are not like you know kind of noobs to business you know so basically someone who's inexperienced in this space but sophisticated in in online business in in business in general perfect and i think i i think the three pieces of advice i came up with actually would have been applicable even if they're beginners (laughs) but um uh you need to have tenacity is the first one because the feedback loop in online business is really long like you can be doing the right thing and you just need to do it longer or you could be doing completely the wrong thing and you have no idea yet. So 
actually i imagine that applies to all business but definitely online so you just need to keep going because eventually you'll you'll figure it out um the the other is that you should test stuff for yourself so there's a lot of people out there talking about what works a lot of survivorship bias where someone does something once and then goes and blogs about it and when you run multiple businesses like i do you see that actually what works for a might not work for b and what doesn't work for a might definitely work for c so you just have to read what other people are saying and be like okay i'm going to try that but it might not work um and then the third thing is just network um networking has been by far the one of the most powerful things i've done over the last decade so people should always be networking just in all walks of life and um it's kind of an obvious one but it's very important in my opinion you had mentioned something about going public right at the very in your in your intro. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just so that in to, casually. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to make sure we we uh, I picked that back up. So, can you elaborate on that at all, or what? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's things I can say and things I can't, but basically, the idea is we're going to go public, um, and by the time this podcast is aired, we hope to have filed uh, our S one with the sec which is basically the document you file when you're like hey sec we want to go public um and so then the idea would be to ipo shortly after the sec declares that effective so i can't really talk about the timeline uh but the the plan is to to um to go public soon and use the money we raise to um acquire businesses and grow our revenue significantly. So that's um, just something people can follow along with, I guess. And so pouring over the the Onfolio S1 would be another great next step for people to learn about digital business acquisition. Is that fair? <laughs> uh, if people are into S1s, uh, 140 pages of bedtime reading. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, that is that is something people can do, or they can, you know, they can. I also recommend checking out the content from Empire Flippers, FE International, um, Quiet Light, um, and you know, people can go to onfolio.com and see all the <laughs> all the other podcasts I've done, the blog posts I've written, and so on, um, and follow me on Twitter as well. So yeah, it's it's a fun space. So if if people approach it from an educational perspective, I think that's a really good way to to learn more. Uh, what is your Twitter handle, Don? Is that the best way if people wanted to reach out to you personally? Is, is Twitter the best? I think using me on Folio, just emailing me dom at onfolio.com is the, the best. But my Twitter handle is at teamonfolio. Thank you for the primer on uh, digital business acquisition. We could have talked for another hour, um, but you have a, a hard stop and, and so do I. Um, so maybe I'll have to have you come on for round two. But in the meantime, thanks very much for the time and, and staying up late for, to make this happen. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd love to come on again. And, and thanks a lot for having me this first time.